and welcome to a very special edition of Trek Untold. And that's because this week is part of Strange New Pod's second ever Captain Picard week. We are gearing up right now for the release of the third and final season of Picard of Paramount Plus, which I'm sure will be amazing. Uh, and what better way to get ready for that than, well, talking Trek, and especially about talking Picard. Now, we're going to do that today with some wonderful, like-minded folks, and we got some big things to talk about today. But before we start getting into our topics, what we're doing, let's meet our guests. Hey, I'm Hawk. Uh, I'm the envoy from Strange New Pod. Uh, I'm joining... Matt again this year for uh, Picard Week. We had a we had a blast last year with it, uh, talking about Picard and trauma and the Borg. Uh, so we thought we'd dive into it again with Picard and ethics and all that heaviness that goes along with it. Um, I also contribute to Geeks with Kids. Um, yeah, that's me. Hey, this is Davey Willett. I am the host of the relatively new podcast, The Trexperts Quiz, which is a, a fun little Star Trek game show where we take fellow podcasters or Star Trek enthusiasts, self-proclaimed Star Trek experts, and get them to battle it out for, for nerd supremacy. Uh, it's exciting to, to be here today, not having to run all the millions of different things I have to do to run an online game show. Uh, and yeah, first, it, as a, a newcomer to the podcast world, it's, it's exciting to be involved in, in Picard Week and, and getting to record with fabulous people like yourself. Yeah, and we are the Dura Sisters podcast. We are sisters, but we're not Klingons. I'm Ashlyn. <laughs> and I'm Rihanna. And the Dura Sisters podcast, we are very happy. This is our second year participating in Captain Picard Week. Last year, we actually talked about Picard and diplomacy. So I feel like these uh, topics are going to be uh, somewhat parallel. But we watched totally different episodes, so I'm excited for today. If you haven't heard of the Dura Sisters podcast, we basically go through... Every single episode of Star Trek and every series and look at it through the lens of a different theme. Some favorites that have been done have been uh, the family series, time travel, holodeck is what we're on right now. But we've paused all of our efforts because we have a lot happening in Picard Week. So we're just happy to be here. And we've just we love all of you here. So this is going to be a really fun conversation. Thanks for having us, Matthew. And thank you, everyone, for joining. And for folks who don't know myself, who are maybe uh, coming into me through Strange New Pod and through Captain Picard Week, I'm Matthew. This is the Trek Untold podcast. And what my show is, is basically uh, it's an interview series where we uh, take a look at various folks who are in the Star Trek universe, whether they be character actors or performers, uh, stunt people behind the scenes crew, whatever it may be. Uh, we talk to them, get to know who they are, talk about their contributions to Star Trek, and uh, we talk a lot. That's what we do on the show, folks. So uh, that's myself. And uh, I think it's time for us to get into this topic here, but I think I do have to make one addendum to my introduction here because I wasn't 100% truthful with all of you. You see, today, I'm actually a member of the Q Collective. And as you may recall from the last season of Picard, the trial never ends. So today on this special episode of Trek Untold with Captain Picard Week, we are going to examine the ethics of a certain Starfleet captain and take a look at the different things he's done throughout his career and judge this man who is known for his diplomacy to determine if he truly has made the right call in some very tough and highly philosophical decisions. So to everyone out there listening and watching, I hope that you'll chime in also. Let us know your thoughts about these very weighty topics on social media and in the comments on YouTube. Because after all, one creature's torment is another creature's delight. So, Mon Capitans, are we ready to examine Picard one more time today? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's <laughs> do it. 
All right. So let us begin this look at the ethics of Captain Picard by starting with the core of what Starfleet is, and that is the Prime Directive. There is no way we weren't going to talk about ethics and Picard and not get into Prime Directive stuff here. So we've got a bunch of episodes to focus on with that here. And I'd like to direct you all first to the season one episode, Symbiosis, and uh, their non-interference policy that's part of the Prime Directive. So I'm just going to summarize real quick what that episode is about for anybody who might not remember. So uh, in Symbiosis, we've got two alien species, the Anarans and the Breckens, and they're feuding over medicine that has been turned into an addictive drug, which the Breckens are selling to the Anarans. However, Picard refuses to get involved due to the Prime Directive, since it's up for these planets to resolve their own internal issues. And in the end, Picard maintains his laissez-faire attitude by not fixing the Inaran's trade ship, which is how they go back and forth to get their drugs, uh, thus disrupting the commerce flow and leaving the two races to figure things out on their own. So the Inarans will either go through withdrawal and become better, or they will tear themselves apart waiting for another way to get their fix. So uh, off the bat, we have a very complicated one here. And, uh, you know, the way we're going to do this is I'm going to start this conversation off with just a very simple question. This is going to be the way we start all these discussions for all the episodes. We're going to look out through this particular podcast. And very simply here, did Picard make the most ethical decision when it came to dealing with the Inarans and the Breckens? So big, broad, open question here. And I, I definitely want everybody to go ahead talk as much as they want about this and as openly as they want about this and uh i'm gonna throw this to our friend over in australia first davy was this picard's most ethical way to handle this situation (laughs) wow thanks for the easy one straight up (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the club buddy i know right it's funny immediately my mind goes to lower decks when we talk about this and i'm like it's all right they went through it but they came out all right at the end (laughs) But <laughs> spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, but look, it's it's a really it's a tough one, and I watched this one not too long ago, and I, it's I felt that Picard's ethics were fairly ham fisted in, in the way that he sort of asserted himself. Like it's pretty much like just dropped this bomb, <laughs> created this massive mess, and gone. See ya. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Washed his hands of it, uh, and I think we, I think we see a slightly less mature Picard here, much more early on in his career, where you know his his ethics, as always, kind of combat with what Starfleet says he should and should not do. And look, I, I'm probably not answering the question very succinctly here. Is it the most ethical choice? I don't think so. Did he find a way to make the Prime Directive work in his favour? Absolutely. <laughs> and if he went away feeling better about it, then then, then more power to him, I guess. Yeah, it, 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 it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I have a feeling he made the right call. Um, mm. Because in aiding them at this time with their addiction issues and that, he would have taken on the addiction issues of an entire civilization, right? And the addiction is not an easy subject, you know, and it's a, mm. it's very complicated. There has to be a willingness on the part of the person who is addicted and that to seek treatment. And the Anarans, they were definitely not in that position right now. Um, denying them the warp co- you know the warp coils was probably the best move he could make you know it's like we'll let this, the two of you two species sort this out between yourselves you know even though it meant you know one's exploiting the other but knowing that not giving them that technology was going to 
basically hinder them from ever receiving the drug in the future was probably the best course because it forces the Breckians hands and uh, they, you know, this is an entire society built on this one product. You know, they don't do anything else. They just manufacture this drug. And then the NRNs are the ones who basically provide them with everything else that they need. So he's left it, he left it in the hands of these two civilizations. Now either the Breckians have to step up and, you know, make some radical changes to the way they, they conduct, you know, they interact with the species or, it falls apart, but in this case, the prime directive, he, he had, it worked in his favor and he, you know, it, it was cruel. I know Bev offered him a solution to the, you know, another form of solution to that to create a non-addictive like synthesis drug for them. But again, yeah, I feel he made the right call. Hawk, that's so interesting because I do want to bring up Bev's role in this and sort of her uh, offered solution or or like kind of a solution, kind of a stopgap measure for uh, them to wean themselves slowly off of the drug. But that would have to involve both species knowing that it was a drug in the first place. And obviously the Onarans don't even know this and they think that they will die without it. And so I think it was pretty cruel of Picard to not inform them of that. But of course, he gets to hide behind the prime directive in that circumstance and i think that yes he like ethically by starfleet's ethics made the right choice but maybe in more of a philosophical like just like moral <laughs> choice it was not the right choice because people like arming someone with information is the best way for them to move forward and the fact that like he just kept them in the dark when the breckians know Everyone else knows, but the Odarids. And of course, they figured it out because we know about Lower Decks. But it still seems like a very convenient thing that the Prime Directive is there for that. So it's kind of a like double-edged sword question because, yes, ethically Starfleet, good job. But like morality-wise, come on, John Luke. Like, let's, we could have at least done something a little bit more to arm them with this information. I think this is a classic case of Picard using the prime directive to kind of manipulate to his will, which is shocking because he, to me, is the poster child for the prime directive. And he's someone who will uphold it almost to any length, but we'll see. And like, we're going to talk about some episodes later where he kind of picks and chooses what is acceptable and when it's okay to kind of bend it. I, I do agree with Hawk, though, overall. I think he made the right call, especially because he's not only disrupting, like, the addiction cycle that is going on and how, like, tentative that can be, but he would also be disrupting the entire, like, economy of both of their planets, which would be a huge, gigantic mess on either end. I kind of wished he could have, like, a solution where the other what is it, the Onarans, like, overheard about what's going on, you know, like, indirectly through, oh, no, the the monitor's on, who knew, you know, they could hear our conversation. But, yeah, I, I don't know, he's really writing the line here, but I think overall, he made the right call. I wonder if this episode was written today, if we might take more of a swing towards Beverly's solution. You know, it's very much a product of its of its time. The decisions that are made in the episode of of the eighties and the war on drugs, and just you know, cut off the supply. Whereas these days, we're having much more nuanced discussions about harm minimization, which I think is the term that uses. Not far from me here in Melbourne is a a safe injecting clinic, and it's such a political hot potato of an issue. But there's also so much research. 
uh, that that says that you know long term it has so much more more benefit in terms of better health outcomes for people. So I wonder if perhaps if if it was written today, if if we might have you know seen a, a different decision, um, you know, in terms of being able to like, well, actually, let's actually do this in a way that is not so disruptive to them, and you know. Yeah, it, 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 it's a tough one, though. It, it's a very hard one to sort of take a moral stance on. It's true about those safe injection sites and that. And one of the biggest benefits of them is that you, you can have health services reach people who are basically kind of out of that loop, you know, um, in one in in one area. So, um, yeah, if it was written today, it would be it would our, I think our stance would be different. But um I also have to take into a fact that the the problem with drugs and that I don't think has gotten any better at this point in our society. It's become a much more complex topic. And, you know, back to Picard's actions here, I think what's interesting is the fact that, you know, for all of us, we I think we view it as that Picard did nothing, essentially. But also in doing nothing, he still triggered an action. He still was the catalyst towards some kind of change. So I kind of then pull back to say, well, in that case, I mean... Shouldn't ethically he have actually had fixed their ships because he was answering a distress call. This is a race that is warp capable, clearly. Uh, even if they don't know what the heck they're doing, they are part of this world now. They, they know how to fly around, at least. Uh, so therefore, wasn't he then obligated by the Prime Directive to actually fix their ships? I say no. He answered the distress call. He saved their lives from the freighter, not even though they put the supply on the transporter pad first before they put themselves on there, which, well, confused the heck out of them. He fixed their ships. He, he actually, you know, he actually facilitated the drug arriving on the planet safely and that, um, as far as like giving them technology and that to fix, you know, to fix the ships that they themselves couldn't fix at that time. I don't believe he was ethically obligated. Um, in fact, he would probably, it would probably be more of an interference uh, and a violation of the prime directive if he had given over those warp coils to them. And does, does, does anyone think that maybe he's kind of leveraging the whole fact that, you know, the prime directive did sort of evolve from, you know, non-interference with pre-warp capable species to also non-interference in the internal affairs of uh, another species, whether they're warp capable or not. So I, I feel like he's trying to sort of walk that line a little bit. But he's kind of interfering with the affairs without so <laughs> through almost through inaction. It's it's such a it's it's an such an amazing sort of conundrum to, to think about. Well, and this episode starts because he like the Enterprise accidentally ran into them, like he said, like he literally answered the distress call. So I think it's different than he, he's not on duty, he's not on orders to go check out this planet and figure out what's going on. They're not just exploring; they just run into them. So he's kind of given a crappy situation and trying to figure out the best course to navigate through it. I, I was going to uh, like say that he should have fixed the freighters, but actually Hawk convinced me. And I think uh, Picard did everything he could to a point. And I think the value of having them teach themselves how to fix their own freighters, hopefully will spur that change on. So thanks Hawk. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. I think that um, Picard, there is so much, only so much he can do, you know, when it comes to interference in a culture. And I think that it is interesting talking about this with the prime directive, because like we said, it's obviously not exactly the prime directive here in place, but it's still that like pact of non-interference. Um, but I just find it really interesting and a little uh, disturbing how once he finds out that the Onarans are addicts, he doesn't want them on the bridge. Like he 
says that particularly no let's go to the conference room instead and I just like get like icky feelings from that because it makes me feel like he's prioritizing the like Breckians who he will let of course allow on the bridge even though they are the ones sort of peddling these (laughs) drugs to this entire species but because these like he's not going to let the addicts on the bridge and so I think that that also sort of is showing his stance without quite showing it you know and uh in these more subtle ways he's kind of like disallowing or he's not really allowing like the entire perspective to he's not understanding the whole perspective here. And I think Beverly is really trying to show him like they're victims, you know, like this is the thing about addiction that a lot of people will forget is that like, it's also a disease, you know, like, yes, people make these decisions, but also like we were, we grew up in a family of addiction. And so we have, obviously I have a very different stance on how I see addiction than maybe someone who hasn't grown up with that. And so I think that like, just the fact that people with addictions get such bad rap, like they're, seen as dangerous or hostile or all of these kind of things. So I feel like a little bit of his opinion and judgment went into that. And of course he's judgy of the the Breckians as well, but not as much to that like heavy weighted standard. I'll say, I wish like if he had wanted to pursue Bev's suggestion about kind of starting to wean them off, I feel like he should have spent more time in this situation and maybe contacted Starfleet Command. I don't know how far out they are, but this might be a situation where you like, hey, Admiral, like I need to talk to my manager. <laughs> what do you guys think about this? Is this a yeah. situation worth worth pursuing or can I should I just go? Like literally they just he's at the end of the episode, he's like, let's just go anywhere, pick a star, I don't care, which is such yeah. a strange way yeah. to leave this episode. And he has this really like awesome speech and he's like all right let's get out and leave this drug addicted planet (laughs) it's very bizarre yeah when you put it like that i almost start to feel disappointed in him (laughs) to be honest and i I always have been disappointed by the end of this one yeah 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 it kind of goes back to some of the earlier point right this is this is early picard early in his career you know he's so headstrong with, with his morals and his ethics but you know, this is probably where he didn't always, I mean, he doesn't always get it right later on either, but this is probably one of his much more, in my opinion anyway, one of his more questionable uh, enforcements of those ethics. Yeah, I, I would agree for sure. And it feels like through basically his not being able to make a decision is maybe still making a decision. It might actually even be worse, perhaps. And, you know, like I said, Lower Decks does settle what happens and ultimately the right choice was made. But, you know, Rihanna, you definitely made a good point uh, about, you know, just the fact that, we are looking at a more complex issue than just this philosophical thing of, you know, should he or shouldn't he? There is also now we have to consider the, I guess, the moral imperative here of, you know, this is a drug addicted community. And for a drug addict, I mean, if they're not ready to make the change, they're not going to go through and follow through with the change. So uh very complex thing here. And, uh, you know, Rihanna, since you, in fact, did use the term non-interference, I think I'm going to throw this next episode here to you. So uh, let us jump ahead now to another wonderful episode, uh, which is Pen Pals from season two a.k.a. the one where the Enterprise saves an entire planet because of one child. So this one here is absolutely expanding on this non-interference policy that just kind of dabbled in with symbiosis here. So Data here makes contact with a person from a planet that is unaware of interstellar travel and whose planet is also about to destroy itself. So Data is already in trouble for speaking to this person, even though he reasons that if they were able to send out a transmission, it means they should be ready to accept whoever's going to answer that call for help. So after Picard hears a child's voice, uh, along with all the other Starfleet crew members that are there with him on the meeting, he agrees to save the planet. But 
data makes even worse by then going down to a aforementioned planet to meet the child. And since it's too late for her to get into a shelter conveniently, he has to now bring her on board the Enterprise. Oh boy. So uh, Picard has Dr. Pulaski wipe her memory of the events. The planet is saved and no one's the wiser. So Picard is even grateful here, in fact, that Data helped remind him of his humanity, but really, they have completely ignored the Prime Directive here uh, in a pretty huge way. So, uh, you know, again, we're going to be looking at not just the fact that Picard saved this planet without telling anybody he's saving the planet, uh, but also the fact that he did it purely based on one child and then wiped that person's memory, too, uh, which clearly this person did not agree to doing that. So uh, a lot to look at here. Uh, Rihanna, did Picard make the most ethical decision here? So once again, we're discussing ethics versus the prime directive, and they don't always go hand in hand. And I think that this is so extremely tricky because as I'm watching this episode, I'm very team save the girl. Like, obviously, it's we all are. really cute <laughs> yeah. girl, you know, like I got to save Nikki Cox. Yeah, exactly. Like, she's so dang cute. And Data has this really lovely, like, relationship going with her. And I think that... um there's just this sort of arrogance that comes from a lot of Starfleet officers and thinking that they can separate emotions when it comes to the Prime Directive. And that's just a lie. Like, I don't care how stone cold you are. Like, when you hear a child's voice, everyone breaks down. Like, literally everyone is just like, oh my god, okay, we have to do something. And I think that... Like we're seeing throughout this episode, there's a whole bunch of catastrophes going on, like in this entire system and that these planets are getting destroyed or like having pretty much a lot of death is going on. And we know that this planet is going to have the same fate. And so I overall think that like you like since you can't emotionally separate, he made the right decision for like the ethically ethics grounded of it but of course it's not the right decision for the prime directive like this is definitely the most interference he's probably done in star trek so far you know and saving a whole planet for one girl and uh all of that but i think it is a little outlandish to ask any other captain to do differently you know it's a it's a tough choice again what a a possible question to answer I say yes, he did make the right decision. Um, I think it's it's definitely different from the decision he made with symbiosis in that, because in this case, this was this geological problem um that affected an entire planet. It was beyond like the control of you know just one little ch- one small child in that, but it was also something that they were capable of solving without having to get involved with the culture or the development of the of the species going forward you know they used they used like 12 photon torpedoes to take care of the whole tectonic problem and that was that um in this case it was it was morally right to to bend to the the prime directive i don't want to say broken in that because you know they did interpret it correctly it was a plea for help that she was sending out there in the dark um so in this case i think for the most part, he is guilt-free, you know, beyond having to put Sarjanka through a, an operation to wipe her memory, which I think was probably morally was probably the, you know, the worst bit of this episode. Yeah, but it's interesting. You sort of say, uh, did he bend or break the prime directive? I, I think it feels like a solid break to me. <laughs> like it's, it's a, he, he cut through that thing with a, with a steak knife. Like it, because yeah, there are it's it's a pre warp civilization, and this is where the, you know the prime directive really conflicts with human morals and human ethics. Because uh, I was reading a, a little essay on the prime directive this morning, which suggested that 
you know, Starfleet officers aren't supposed to interfere, uh, even if that in- interference or sorry, non-interference would mean extinction. So that's where, the, again, I always feel that like Starfleet's orders and the Prime Directive are in direct conflict with Picard as an individual. His ethics are always going up against the ethics and morals of of Starfleet in this regards and, and his orders. So I I think he did break it. I mean, this this whole episode is I watched it recently in preparation for today, and I'm like, this is a little odd. Everything about this episode is a little odd. You know, Data having the the secret conversation and then telling Picard about it. Now, I have to, I need to be confirmed on this, but when he tells Picard about it on the holodeck, he says he's been talking to her for eight weeks. Eight weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, Which has Picard is- been riding around in the holodeck for eight weeks on his horse? What is he going on? Really horses. <laughs> yeah. I know. He loves them, yeah. <laughs> I had to rewind it. I'm like, did I hear that? Probably eight weeks. <laughs> anyway, interesting writing and directorial choice. But yeah, I, I think the, from Data right through to Picard, I, I don't know if they really did the right thing at all throughout this this whole episode. You know, it's Data's curiosity that that kicked it off, um, but you know, then Picard felt the need to pull the whole crew into a conference about you know Data's little pen pal and, and get the whole crew involved. Like, oh, I guess we've got to do it. Like, it's it's odd, very odd. Yeah, my thoughts are so aligned with you, Davey, on this one. I have to think about, and I'm sorry to bring up the Kelvin verse on this, but in the opening of, um, I think it's Star Trek Into Darkness, we see Kirk and McCoy have stolen like a sacred item from this tribe and they're distracting them while the Enterprise and Spock like go into a volcano to neutralize it so it doesn't set off and destroy the whole civilization. Kirk thinks... This is awesome. We like, this is a win-win situation. We saved Spock. We saved uh, the whole civilization. They did end up seeing the Enterprise. And then when he gets back to headquarters, he's removed of his command for doing this. And I I think because Picard is Picard, he's not like necessarily held to those type of standards. And I know it's a totally different universe. So you all can like get me for that. But I just mm-hmm. think this is a, a similar situation where it's very clear that this is not okay. And I actually, I'm sad to say I'm team kill the girl instead of <gasps> team save the girl. <laughs> Be- because like, this is hard. I know, <laughs> but I, I just, I'm just so astounded that he would make this decision. And I do see this more as like, Picard is trying to be Kirk, you know, trying to have this cowboy diplomacy where he can have, he can win. But my questions are like, we talked about all of the planets in the systems are like this. They're all, um, they all live fast and die hard, as Riker says. <laughs> and so I can't help but wonder that whatever they did to this plan to stabilize it for now, what kind of impact will that have on the system going forward? Did they make it so life cannot form anymore? Because life was still like surviving on the planet until it turned volatile. They just have no idea what the repercussions will be of this. And they never check back in, you know, that we know of. And also, um, what was my last point? Yeah, I, I just, oh, and Picard and, and Riker, they keep making this, like, they have a cute little hand signal that they make to each other, like, oh, we're up to our necks in it. And then, oh, you know, <laughs> Riker, now we're up to here, up to our eyes in it. And I just feel like this is a example of what can happen when you start to mess around with the prime directive and suddenly everything is your fault. You know, like you are making all of these changes in the society. 
So I guess he takes care of it because he wipes her memory. But I just find this episode mm. very questionable and not the Picard that I think of when I think about ethics. <laughs> yeah. Project actually, swing know. by. Project Literally. swing yeah. by. Exactly. And it's a Please. project like, swing by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's such a good point. And I think that kind of the prime directive is like a liability cause, you know, really what it comes down to it. It's so that our officers are not like kind of in hot water about a planet you know that completely changing its entire history and its course and everything and so i think to that circumstance i was really surprised that picard went this direction because just last episode he was fine to let or last episode we talked about he was fine to let like addicts figure it out on their own to leave them high and dry you know and so it seems nice really pun. interesting <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> i didn't even think about that um it's interesting that there is a lot of cherry picking when it comes to the prime directive. And I think that this is why I say that emotionality is such an important aspect of it, because if Picard had been the one chatting with this girl for eight weeks, he would be even more invested and wouldn't even question it, you know? And if it was someone that they all knew and loved dearly, they're going to save the planet, like without any questions. And so the prime directive is only as good as like, you know, to uphold it for strangers and people you basically don't know and it's okay to see them die. And yeah, sometimes Picard will have to make that hard decision. Um, but for the most part, I think that if it were his pen pal, he wouldn't even like second guess it or anything. But because it was Data and Data is someone who he a lot of people think is like flawed or making bad decisions. Um, they're kind of just like, I love at one point he said, he was like, well, Data's already fucked this up, essentially. He's like, Data's done this, so we're past that. We have to figure this out, you know? So he, Data did really take it out of Picard's hands and really turned it into something more than it obviously needed to be. But I think for the better, they use science they to solve this problem. They did not go down the planet and say, ooh, we're from space, you know? And yes, they did the non-consensual brain wiping, which is always bad, but also it does work with the Prime Directive, so... Yeah, and this is definitely like the the Philip K. Dick written episode here of Star Trek. This is uh, do androids shit the bed when making ethical decisions? And the answer apparently is yes. So <laughs> go figure. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah. I, I'm also trying to struggle too with what really is the worst decision here in this episode because is it wiping the memory? Which I think honestly that might be the worst decision, wiping the memory. But we will come back to that point with our next episode. But uh, I think the last thing I want to come up here with, uh, and this is to, uh, I guess, again, continue to be devil's advocate, which I will be throughout this entire episode here. So in symbiosis, we all know that there's also children on that planet who are also addicted to this drug. So if all it would have taken is one child with a, you know, a, a Sarah McLaughlin song behind them, uh, it's one of those kind of situations. Would a single child have changed Picard's mind and thus had to make a decision in symbiosis? In season one, no. <laughs> he hates kids. Get off no, my bridge. No kids on <laughs> That's why it was so easy for him to wipe Sarjenka's mind. He's like, I don't care about this brat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, he couldn't even I, look I... at her or Data like when they were on the bridge. Like he was so mortified that he had done that. He couldn't even like. He just turned away. I was like, wow, talk about like just not wanting to involve yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought. It, I thought the. Uh, how easily he turned was what made me the most disappointed, I think, in the whole episode, because literally she talks for like five seconds and he says, Data, your whisper in the dark has now become a plea. I'm like, oh, my, she didn't even say anything except like, help me. You know, I, I, that's I'm a plea. so that's a plea. I, I know, but I don't know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I just can't believe he turned because of that. So continuing down the path of non-interference here, let's look at an episode from season seven. 
And uh, this one here is Homeward. So, yeah, so this is going to be an interesting contrast here, though, because we're talking about, you know, season one Picard, season seven Picard, which we'll discuss as we go on here. But, uh, you know, really at the core of this episode, this time we can blame Worf's brother for the problem here, Nikolai. Uh, really, that's a whole other episode for maybe when Strange New Pod does Worf Week, uh, all about Nikolai. But anyway, in Homeward, Nikolai wants to save a dying planet for scientific and also selfish reasons. But Picard says no. So behind his back, Nikolai beams up the entire community onto the holodeck, hiding them with the intent to beam them down to a new homeworld, with them still unaware of what happened. Picard is forced to go with this, but we have, once again, two problems to look at in this episode. First, starting with the fact that, and this is not even necessarily looking at the non-interference here, more so, let's start with the fact that first, Picard put Worf in charge of his brother. Now, that right there, to me, is just a massive conflict of interest. I'm going to throw this out there to anybody who wants to have this one. Was that even the best decision to make? It was the only decision he could make. He was basically dealing with a small group of people who were supposed to be already dead at that point, who had already interacted with Worf. Uh, and to avoid any further, you know, if they throw anybody else in there in the same makeup and they'd be asking, who are you? How did you get here? Because, you know, this is a very small, isolated community in that they know each other and that like them running into Worf was, you know, pretty tenuous in itself until Nick Nikolai came in. It's like, this is my brother, you know, gave him, we haven't seen each other in four years, blah, blah, blah. You throw anybody else into that situation, uh, even makeup in that. And they're, they're going to start questioning what's going on, especially because with the holodeck screw ups that are happening and they're already, you know, suspicious. Um, that was the only decision Picard could have made. Yeah. It's one of those instances of his hands are tied again by someone else, you know, mm-hmm. making the decision before him. And then he has to sort of mitigate and figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, what was, what was his other option? Once he kind of figured out what would happen, he could, he could beam them into space and then he'd satisfy the prime directive, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, that is a solution. That might not be necessarily the most morally correct one, but it is a solution. <laughs> but it, it to, yeah, to sort of Rihanna's point there, like, what else what else could he do you know he they're there and he has to do something about it the decision's been been made for him so then the second ethical question we have here the second dilemma which i think is a bigger one uh and this one is now once picard is aware of what happened what nikolai did he's forced to now go with it and the matter is complicated when one of the villagers escapes the holodeck and finds himself on the ship so picard now asks the villager to lie about what he saw for the safety of his entire people so he can either lie about it or he has the wonderful option of being dropped off somewhere else to fend for himself. Unable and unprepared to carry that burden, the villager commits ritual suicide. So Picard was forced to save an entire civilization and kept them in the dark about the original planet dying at the cost of just one life. That's not a, that's not a big deal, right? Right. So, uh, again, big question here. Did Picard make the right decision here? Uh, I'll throw this to uh, Ashlyn. What do you what's your take on this one? Yeah, I think Picard handled that this situation very poorly, especially because there weren't even guards posted outside of the holodeck. So the guy wanders off and he goes in a tent forward of all places. So everyone like they're trying to help him. But Riker's like, oh, my God, like this is awful. You know, trying to get him to sick bay, calm him down. So I think just right away, like he him choosing not to have anyone sort of supervise the situation was a poor move. And then also. I think giving him such limited options is not great either. I think he should have had some kind of plan set up where, okay, if you want to like integrate yourself into these time, into this time, we will rehabilitate you here, or we will find a place to rehabilitate you. Like we'll drop you off somewhere and you can, you know, be caught up to speed on everything. 
or there have to there has to be a middle ground. I feel like asking him to lie about what he saw, or I don't know. It is a it is a tricky call, but I still think that Picard maybe could have had Troy there for these conversations, um, or maybe Nikolai for the for this conversation. Someone who like has been with him for a long time. Yeah, I thought Picard just handled it very poorly, especially, and we'll talk about this later, there's multiple situations in Star Trek where Picard has to deal with someone who has found themselves on the Enterprise, not understanding what like space travel is. And I feel like this is the worst way that he handles this situation. I'm guessing Beverly is not okay with wiping memory, but Pulaski is. I was so- thinking <laughs> yep. yeah. like, where's Pulaski's special mind wipe now? <laughs> yeah. well, we'll actually address that in a moment because they did try that in another episode we're going to talk about after this one where basically they're like, oh, it didn't work this time. So now they've basically canonically found a way to scratch that off because otherwise that would solve all their problems. Just, you know, pull out the Men in Black neuralizer and go zap. No problems. I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Or a Vulcan usually is there. Like the other solution is if they have a Vulcan on board. They're just Fine. like, hey, do that. Like You just yeah, do yeah. that thing for us. <laughs> So I can have my hands washed of it. Yeah, like, this is just all bad, in my opinion. Like, exactly what you're saying about the guards. Like, anyone could have been posted outside the holodeck, or is there a way to, like, lock the holodeck doors? Like, there's got to be some sort of situation which, like, I don't know, just, like, think about it before. Like, obviously, he couldn't have planned for this because Nikolai threw all of that out the window by beaming them onto the holodeck. But then once you're in that situation, Jordy's already working overtime, making sure the holodeck doesn't run down and completely like wreck their plan. And they're showing that, oh, that the grid of the holodeck is a sign from the gods. Like, we have to keep moving, that kind of stuff. But there's got to be other ways to mitigate it before it becomes a big problem. And they just were not obviously thinking about all of that. Picard's got a lot to deal with, but still. Not cool, my dude. I'm sorry. Also, couldn't they have, like, put them to sleep? Like, couldn't Beverly have just knocked them out for, like, a mm. couple days? I don't know. Yeah, that could have worked. I mean, I feel like this almost goes back in a way to, again, symbiosis with some bad decision-making here because, I mean, like, he gave him real no, no options. Uh, it's basically either you carry this burden or off you go on your own adventures with no knowledge of anything out there in the galaxy. Good luck, buddy. Here's, here's a bus ticket. So it, it's kind of like there was no chance for him to begin with. The way I understood it is that the the procedure didn't did, wouldn't have worked on this on on uh, Vorin. That was his name, the Chronicler. Uh, they considered the option of erasing his memory, but apparently it would it wouldn't have ta- it would have taken. Maybe there was some poor decision making on Picard's part in that. But also, I mean, this was kind of what I think this this episode meant to illustrate. You know, the example of why the you know the Prime Directive is there, and that you know even when it's broken, it's like they're any individual person's reaction to you know the sudden exposure that your the entire way of your world or the t- everything that you think is is absolutely wrong is handled very differently by by people in that we've seen it happen in other episodes sarjanka was pretty cool with it and that um things went a little wrong and who watches the watchers but they got there in the end um but again i think it kind of falls on the person in that and this person once he was kind of exposed to the truth and that he couldn't handle it and to go back and like to be asked to lie and say like everything's cool and that's it just it wasn't in his wheelhouse um again maybe it like they definitely should have had more interaction with him and troy um or something but again as we've said before sometimes these decisions are taken out of picard's hands and in this case, it most particularly was. Yeah. And and I think there's also, if you kind of look at the, the prime directive through some of these episodes, 
they are interesting examinations of the the different facets of the impact that breaking the prime directive that can potentially have. So there's occasions where it turns out okay. There's wonderment at, at what is happening out in the universe and seeing the Enterprise. There is, you know, like who watches the watchers where they think Picard's a deity. But then you've got this and the, the prime directive is broken here. This person finds out from a primitive culture about this spacefaring civilization and that everything that they knew was not real and that it was all, you know, they woke up and they were in the matrix basically and they couldn't handle that. That drove them to the, to the point of, you know, of, of suicide. Like it's, um, it's, it's pretty intense in terms of the impact that that can have. And it shows you why Starfleet may want to have to enforce that rule, right? Because if you don't interfere, then you can almost, you can wipe yourself clear of, of, of the impact, um, whether your interference caused or non-interference caused the impact, right? It's, it's such a interesting nuanced discussion you can have around why you should or should not. Yeah. And I'm thinking about Starfleet getting all these reports, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, just, it's so interesting that if you take another person, it like we said, because it's Picard, it's like, okay, you know, because overall he does things pretty well. But I think that especially in this era where we're not really cowboy diplomacy no more, like it's not the, the TOS era. Um, I think that it would be really funny and also just like awful to be reading these reports. Like Picard, what have you done? <laughs> like, come on. That's a lower decks episode waiting to happen. You've got the person at Starfleet headquarters who gets the prime directive broken reports. And it's just like, Oh, not the enterprise. Oh. <laughs> so Hawk, you actually mentioned uh, our next episode that we're going to be talking about here. And that's who watches the watchers. Uh, although this episode has a few similarities also to First Contact. That's the episode of B.B. Newirth, not the movie. Uh, so, But again, same ethical dilemma here. Just the variant, I think it's more important here, uh, is in who watches the Watchers. That's what I want to focus on for this question. So the Mintakins here, they are a Bronze Age society who might end up slipping back into believing supernatural things due to believing that Picard is a god, thanks to some wonderfully timed mishaps on their planet. So Picard decides he wants to actually kill the person who is being onto the ship to be healed. So that's a whole new one right there. Uh, so let's just start with that question here, because now, you know, we're faced with a battle of moral imperatives. Would it have been an ethical decision to forbid Beverly from healing that Mintakin man? Or was it Beverly's following of the Hippocratic Oath and her ethics to save him the right decision? And I'm going to throw this to you, Hawk, since you are the one who mentions episode first. So you get to do first duty on this one. Beverly definitely was right. You know, she was following the Hippocratic Oath and that she couldn't, she could not, not follow the Hippocratic Oath at that point. You know, he, he was a patient in her, in her sick bay. So she was, she was going to do as she was compelled to do in that. Picard, that was surprising. Um, but I think like he'd been through this a few times and he was like, not again. It's like, ah, you know, we could just let him die and, you know, we, you know, this would be over with, you know, but no. You know, again, the decision taken out of his hand, so he rolled with it and that, you know, informed her of Pulaski's procedure and that, but which did not take. Um, yeah, his reaction definitely surprised me this time. But was it actually the morally correct one, though? And I want to make sure everybody understands that part here for this conversation, because, you know, we do have now a battle of two different things going on here. So really, I don't know which one's going to supersede the other, but essentially, you know, Picard saying let this guy die is actually what the prime directive would say to a, a non-war planet, really, right? So. Right. Uh, yeah, anybody else have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I was just thinking as Hawk was talking, I wonder as a Starfleet officer, 
does General Order 1 come before your Hippocratic Oath as a doctor? In, in, where, where in the 24th century, where would, where would we place that? You know, you, you can definitely understand Beverly's compulsion, but what was her duty? And I think that's maybe the, the question that, that, that doesn't quite get answered here and probably where Picard's frustration comes from with her, with her actions. Beverly took the decision, you know, the actions that she did because it was their fault that he did get injured. True. You know, yeah. You know, the whole, you know, thing with the duck blind and the holodeck failing and that he got a huge electrical shock and, you know, pretty, I think that fall pretty much broke his back. So, um, she, I, you know, maybe it's a Hippocratic oath, but I think morally she felt Starfleet was compelled to help. While shocking for him to for us to hear him say he, you should have let him die, I think it was the right choice. Um, again, it's too late for him to have done anything because of what Beverly did. I think also they didn't understand how critical the situation was. I know in the first five minutes, like when they're setting up the episode, it does seem kind of like, oh, what's going on there? We're losing power. Um, can't really hear what they're saying, but when they arrive, it's a very desperate situation. And so I think if they had had a couple more people down there, Beverly maybe could have taken someone to run after him and check anyone watching, you know, but because in a crisis, these little decisions were made and now we are where we are. And I'll say like overall in this episode, I think this is one of Picard's better looks on, um, ethics and uh, i think he he makes the right call for most of this episode now this episode ends with picard revealing himself to the mintakins to save troy and convincing them that he's not a god thus they agree to keep the secret likewise they did something similar in the episode we're not gonna really be talking about too much here in first contact and the difference really between those two is that was a much more advanced race and they were ready to you know they basically already had a system to keep this conspiracy quiet uh so you know we're now looking at a society that is pre-warp they're not having their minds wiped and they totally know about the enterprise and they're still a bronze age society. I mean, this is another tough one here. If he didn't, it didn't interfere. Deanna would die and they would continue to worship the Picard since they really dug themselves in deep. Thanks to a lot of bad decisions to begin with. Really? What is the right thing here to do? What is the most ethical decision to do in this quagmire? Cause it just kept getting more and more complicated, maybe even worse than pen pals in a lot of ways here. Uh, you know, we let that Mintakan guy live in the first place. Should he have actually just let Deanna die and just gone with it? I mean, should he even have revealed himself at all? Was there another way to solve this problem without completely taking a dump on the prime directive? No, there was no. No, Uh, basically. okay. like the worst guy in this episode was Palmer and that who thought, you know, the best solution would be to dump a bunch of rules onto them. And that, you know, it's like, just tell them that you're the Picard, you're the overseer and that give them a few rules and then we'll move on. And that and Picard was just horrified by that. And rightly so. You know, um, and it, yeah, it, it, it was difficult. He chose the, the most difficult course of action in that to reveal himself to Nuria. And, you know, basically, if you're ever interested, if anyone's interested in a quick anthropology lesson in that, I think this episode pretty much encapsulates it in that because his description of, to her in that of like who they were and like, you know, as compared to them, you know, it's like the comparison of the bow, uh, the huts, you know, the caves and that it was a great, it was a great way to break it down for someone who thinks like you're, you're a magic person. I totally agree. Hawk. I think that this was such a wonderful handling of it because at this point, you know, if we're talking about like up being up to your necks, they were over their heads truly at this point. And they literally could not have done this any other way. They're essentially like, 
it's already just so broken, just like so many times has the Prime Directive been broken in this episode. And that the fact that like he, Palmer wanted him to be this, wanted him to be this god and Picard is so against that. And I think that that is just a beautiful like decision because no, you cannot let them go back to this sort of like spiritual, like uh, not even spiritual, just like supernatural worshiping because it becomes God fearing. It's not even like a gentle worship. It's like a, oh my gosh, he's mad at us. We better kill this lady, Troy, you know, like it, it was spiraling so out of control. It actually like on a very low scale reminded me of when Janeway is talking to Da Vinci, the hologram concerning flight about sort of does a bird understand politics like no a bird is just a bird on its on its leaf and i think that picard did a really similar wonderful analogy to help her understand what would your ancestor who lived in caves think of you now with your bows and woven cloth and stuff like that and so that was really wonderful and i think that picard really handled this well i am just like so frustrated with all of it just going to shit, you know, <laughs> like obviously once more, this is not Picard's doing, um, except the fact that he definitely wanted that guy to die. <laughs> that was his doing. But <laughs> I think overall he made the right choice. Absolutely. We have a comedy of errors in this episode. Oh, yeah. And I, I want to go back to Palmer one last time because it just, it really makes me question who are these scientists they're sending out to observe these people? Like who watches the watchers indeed Starfleet? What's going on here? Because he was just ready to say, okay, you're a god. And that couldn't help me or I couldn't help but think like, what if this had been another captain who had made a different choice, who maybe wanted the easy way out and said, all right, here's your commandments. Go for it. And I wanted to read this quote that Picard says because it was so epic. Um, he said, a millennia ago, they abandoned their belief in the supernatural. And now you're asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition, ignorance, and fear? No. And I was like cheering, like, okay, Picard, mm-hmm. that's that's who I know. That's the Picard I recognize, <laughs> who I haven't seen in all of these episodes yet. Um, and... I, I just, I also, again, continuing with crazy decisions, Riker and Troy, especially Riker, does a terrible job on the planet when he's like carrying the guy away and he ties up um, like the older gentleman to like uh, get the scientist away. I just thought that was handled so terribly. And for Riker to be the first officer, just like blundering around, like literally like running through the mountains, I thought was crazy. Um, send someone else. I don't know who. <laughs> Who better than your first officer? But Riker was like asleep at the wheel. (laughs) The comedy of errors is such a good way to put it, Ashlyn, because it also shows that once it's broken, the prime directive that is, like trying to undo that damage can just compound. And I must admit that quote, I love it. I even got goosebumps hearing you read it because I just think about like, what are the implications of even just allowing a small group of primitive people to think that you're a god. Like how, what could, what could happen from that? What damage could occur over generations if that becomes the dominant religion and how that could potentially be used to, to cause damage, uh, to others and, and wars and all the stuff that we've seen religion do in our own society. So yeah, what a, Fabulous forward thinking bit of, uh, writing and quoting from, from Picard from, you know, the early nineties there. I love it. Same, Davey. And I also want to mention too that Picard even says like there are like Starfleet is so devoted to the prime directive that its subjects are willing to die for it, you know, and this is what it comes to in the conclusion is that 
he says, shoot me. Like, if you really think I'm a God, then the arrow will go right through me or it won't affect me. Um, but you need to know that I'm flesh and blood and I am man like you. And, um, I just got to say, like, let the female leader speak. Let Listen to her. Like, she's got it going. She knows what she's doing. Uh, this guy was just so wrapped up in this superstition and so blindsided by it that he did end up literally shooting Picard with a bow. Um, and, of course, he's fine. I love how the next scene it's like, okay, Captain's log supplemental. Like, I'm good. <laughs> you know? Obviously, he's fine. But it's still, like, what bravery from Picard in that moment to say, I will die for the Prime Directive. Like, that is, that's definitely Picard right there. Absolutely. I thought that was awesome. And it's reminding me, Rihanna, of the Lower Decks episode where uh, I think Mariner says, like, they have swords and spears. We have phasers. Yeah. Like, why, are, why are you afraid of them? You're not going to die from a spear. Like, yeah. You're, yeah. We, we live on a starship. It's going to yeah. be okay. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to the topic of relocation a little bit more here because, you know, we, we uh, talked already about some episodes that have that. Uh, we're, we're not going to really spend too much time on Journey's End, although that is an important one with this issue here. But I want to focus right now on one of the TNG movies. And that's Insurrection, because that movie combines a lot of familiar elements here in this conversation. Uh, and really, this time, I think Picard just absolutely spits in that prime directive just all over it, up and down. Uh, because once the Baku become aware of Starfleet, the crew of the Enterprise now mutinies against Starfleet's orders of relocation and fights back. So this is a big, big change here. So, you know, in Journey's End, Picard reprimanded Wesley for letting his feelings get in the way of things. This time... Picard is doing exactly that, and in a much bigger, much more mutinous way. Uh, so, you know, I know it's for the sake of a movie, and it's whatever, but, I mean, did Picard make the most ethical decision here? He made the moral decision. He def- I th- he was willing to end his career in that, to defend the Baku in that, because he knew, like, from the from the very beginning, there was something very rotten about this whole deal in that, to remove them. You know, uh, and then eventually, you know, we find out that there was a hell of a lot more to it and that, you know, the Starfleet was just basically rolling over and showing their belly to, um, oh God, what was the name of the other race? The Sona. The Sona. Yeah, because they needed new allies and that because their, their, their resources were depleted after the Dominion War and the Borg and that. And they need, you know, and they were not, they were not like a formidable presence in the galaxy that they once were. Um, so yeah, they, I, I think ethically and morally Picard was in the right in, in, um, and he wasn't even really breaking the prime directive. I don't think this, he was in defending them. He, he made a, he made the moral choice. Right. Hawk, my man, you are, you are, you are team Picard all the way, by the way. And I love it. And, yes. and I think I've disagreed with you a few times so far, but I think I'm aligned with you on this for sure because he justifies it. With the fact that the Baku are not really technically, they're not a pre-warp civilization. No. They've they they have had the technology. They've just chosen not to use it. So there's that is where a gray area comes in, and I, I think that Picard is very good at exploiting those gray areas. Uh, and that brings up an interesting question of like. Why are there different hills that Picard is willing to die on when there's a such a similar situation in symbiosis? You know, like there's still exploitation of an entire planet from its sister planet and Picard does basically nothing for them. But then there's an attractive lady who likes him. Mm. And so therefore, like, does that add a little bit of his like 
desire to help and they're not addicts they're just like in this beautiful fountain of youth planet like you know so i think that sometimes the attractiveness not even like physical but just of the situation can really skew like where people stand on the prime directive sometimes and that is a little concerning to me because drugs are bad that's this is your brain on drugs <laughs> See, Rian. Oh, go ahead, Hawk. It's interesting you mentioned that because in homework there, there was also a personal issue at stake in that with Nikolai and that he had start he had, you know he was going to have he had going to have a child with one of the people and that he was you know supposed to be technically not a part of. Um, so yeah, again, the situations tend to be skewed by emotions and you know interpersonal relationships. So well, that's where yeah. the code of ethics comes into play in these episodes, though, too, is because. Yes, something might be morally correct, but ethically, maybe not so much. And I think this is one of those good examples out in the film here where, you know, maybe morally, yeah, it's it makes perfect sense. But ethically, it's a tough one, you know. I think also it's Picard's um, track record of when he really disagrees with Starfleet on a high level, he does not care. And, I mean, we see this in Picard, like, he will... He he's able to rise above and say, look, I know you guys are desperate because of everything that's happened with the war. This is really wrong. And I think this is a, it, I mean, his captaincy's never at stake in this episode, but I think this would be like, if he was put on trial for this, he would like stand by his actions um, because of like the repercussions of what could happen if they are able to get like their hands on everything going on on the planet would have like such crazy changes in the Federation. Um, so I'll say from that too, he will put his foot down sometimes when he thinks that morally it's just not right. I will say, I think the one element that ties a lot of these episodes together is what, uh, today's discovery haters would say, quote unquote, bad writing. Cause so much of the stuff that happens in these episodes, really, it can just get broken down to inconsistent character writing. Cause you had writer A working on episode 10 and writer B working on episode whatever, and never really meshing together. So, you know, if we want to nitpick like that, uh, that's just my two cents on the topic. But, uh, yeah, for the sake of actual ethical conversation, we're going to pretend everything is canon and all is right in the world. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so let's get a little more personal now, Mon Capitans, because we've talked about conflict of interests earlier with Worf. Now let's redirect this to Deanna Troy. And since we're talking movies, why don't we go to the final TNG movie, Nemesis? So in this one here, Troy has her mind violated by Shinzon and the Viceroy during some intimate moments with Riker. Picard denies her request to be relieved of duty, saying he needs her by uh, his side now more than ever. We don't need to be coarse to explain what this metaphor is, but essentially, you know, you have an officer saying they can't perform their duties for very valid and traumatic reasons here. Uh, and Hawk, we're back to trauma. Uh, did Picard make the right decision here by saying her trauma was not as important as their mission? That's never the right decision. No. <laughs> like, ever. It doesn't matter how important the decision is, or important the uh, the situation is, or how earth-shattering the stakes are. It's never okay to put the need of the mission over someone's personal trauma, especially because the mission was the thing that caused the personal trauma. And I can almost guarantee you that if this happened to, like... Riker or maybe another man like there might be some more leniency maybe not because this is Picard and he's so like uphold the we must continue the mission at all costs but I just think that like we have to bring up the fact that Troy is a woman and that she is the like empathetic voice of of the crew and it's just so crazy to me that like they don't have any other counselors like Troy has to literally do all the heavy lifting all of the time and that's just not fair like as a start of things, but also as far as 
that decision, it's just like vile. And it really makes it hard to watch Nemesis for me. I mean, Nemesis is hard to watch for a lot of reasons, but it's the it's one of the main reasons I do not go back and watch it. It's just like similar to um kind of similar, you know, to Spock even doing his like mind violation and stuff. And we've seen this happen in other circumstances and it's just so brushed aside and it like should never be. So that's my hard stance for sure. And I just want to add too, before we get too deep into this, that, you know, there's going to probably be some folks commenting about how later in the film, she uses that same thing on uh, the Remans to track them. Um, but, you know, that's just sci-fi writing. It's still kind of like ignoring the actual humanity of the situation so that, uh, to be quite frankly, is not a valid reason to say, well, that, you know, that, that makes us okay to do so. We're not going to let the plot actually dictate what is ethically correct here in the situation. Yeah. I got a few points about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 100% it was totally a bad call. Um, first up, you know, we talked about bad writers and that. And I think this script came from, you know, mainly from the mind of Rick Berman and Stuart Baird, the director and that. And it was just a real, it was just, it's generally like considered probably the worst Star Trek movie ever made. I, you know, I don't know if anybody would disagree with that. Um, so we can put this down to bad writing, but also there is a pattern to this. Um, Way back, uh, there was an episode with Data where he felt compromised after losing that game of Stratagema to uh, the the uh, the weird little guy with the finger things. Um, and you know, in a way, he was he was compromised too. In that, and Picard rushed right into his room and was like, "What is the problem? And that, get over it and that come up with a strategy to defeat Riker." And that, so Picard has always been a bit hard headed in that, you know, not recognizing like the emotional status of his people. That and you know, wanting the best out of them and that without you know, really considering like you know, the toll it could take on them. Um, which is kind of funny because in two situations, and that we know that Picard himself has experienced trauma, you know, beyond belief, uh, being assimilated by the Borg and that you know, which is a violation on so many levels you can't even begin to, to you know, comprehend. And then on top of that, you know, he, later on he was kidnapped and uh, held prisoner by the Cardassians, suspected, you know subjected to physical torture psychological torture um and a lot of people have asked me do you think picard should have been put back in charge of the enterprise after that do you you know and i always say well yeah he seemed to be okay with it and that but you know at the end of that episode at the end of that two episode arc and that we realized you know like he 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 was a lot worse for wear than that we thought so it is a it was totally wrong of him and that to deny troy leave um you know to cope with the situation and you know the writers really should have, you know, taken all of that into account before writing that horrible scene. Yeah, it's it's dealt with very poorly. Not just, you know, I, I think we've kind of steered away from the the decisions of Picard as as a character and an individual, and more into how uh, how problematic it is in terms of of the writing and dealing with concepts like violation and consent and all that kind of stuff. Right? It's uh, you know, you could say a product of its time, but that's a term I hate using so, so much. And, um, yeah, just interesting being listening to uh, Will Wheaton's book, Still Just a Geek, where he talks about, you know, whilst he was very happy to be back on set, hearing about, God, what was happening with the directors and what an a-hole he apparently was on set. Like, there's no wonder that this this movie is, is problematic from <laughs> from the opening titles to the closing credits. It's a, the, it's a tough one. Didn't the director actually say he never really watched or liked Star Trek at all? Yeah, no, no, no. 
Will Wheaton talks in the book about, you know, there's one of the actors said, oh, this isn't how it's done on Star Trek. And he was like, I don't effing care how it's done on Star Trek. This is my movie. Rah, rah, rah. So <laughs> that, that, that's, that speaks volumes to when you go back and, and, and watch the film. I mean, it's funny. I actually don't remember this scene a great deal because I always spend too much time playing on my phone when I'm watching Nemesis. So. <laughs> And it just kind of goes over my head. I'm like, oh, is it over? That's weird. <laughs> well, as we've kind of established throughout this conversation here, Picard has a history of not listening to women when it comes to deep ethical quandaries. Uh, because now if we jump back to TNG, the series proper, uh, we're going to talk about arguably what is probably the worst episode in the entire series. Uh, and that's Up the Long Ladder. Oh, boy. All right. So uh, Picard saves the day here in this very complicated episode that I'm not going to recap entirely because it's also just plain stupid. Uh, but basically, he tells a race of clones that they can breed with a colony of 22nd century stereotypical Irish folk. And I want to add that Picard literally uses the word breeding stock and says the women will have to have at least three husbands, at least three. And they're going to have an output of at least three kids. So the episode ends with everybody happy, but let's face it here, Picard never asked Bri- uh, Brenna O'Dell, the matriarch of the Brignoldi, uh, her opinion on this matter here. And clearly this is a thing that is going to be affecting her and the rest of the women of the society in a pretty huge, life-changing way. Picard has now forced polyamory onto their entire culture, really two cultures at once, uh, and the women just have to sit back and, I guess, enjoy it. Because, I mean, I mean, Brenna's all happy because this guy's like a prime minister. Cool for her. Uh, again, we're not going to let the, the poor writing dictate what is an ethical decision or not here. Uh, but I'll just say this one up front here. Uh, this episode just absolutely lacks any kind of ethical thought behind it. Uh, you've now completely altered the course of two civilizations in one. Are you saving one? Yeah, but also at the cost of the autonomy of another entire group of people. And you set them on a course that is going to be unalterable. It, it changes them both forever. So uh, I don't I don't even know how to begin to gauge this discussion. Uh, I'm going to throw it out to anybody who wants to dare to tackle this one here. Uh, yeah, I want to note really quick. I think it was Pulaski who said breeding stock, um, which is like... I think they both did it, actually, but yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a writing thing, too, to say, like, oh, if the woman says it, it's more okay, you know? Like, but this is Pulaski. Like, she never respects, like, no offense to her. I know, like, I don't know if there's a lot of Pulaski fans out there, so I'm sorry if I'm, <laughs> like, <laughs> going to drag on her a little. But, like, she, like, is always not really respecting culture and not really thinking about, like, the ramifications of some of her actions. And so, like, that's not super surprising to me that she's just over here like yeah breeding stock sure like that'll solve the <laughs> except in this episode she was all about that tea ceremony with Worf, which is has nothing True. to do with the that plot. was shocking yeah but i will say she does love a good klingon tea ceremony <laughs> yeah. i love that b plot that goes absolutely nowhere at all but nowhere it's, still fun yeah. Seeing yeah. Her it's, it's awesome it's awesome yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i i thought it was amazing to seek throughout the whole episode the leader of um the Irishman, for lack of a better word, are, like he's drunk the entire episode. And we spent a long time like focusing on getting him drunk and worth like giving him alcohol. And um, what's her name is Brita. What is her name? Uh, Brenna. Um, Brenna. Brenna. Yeah, she's clearly the one running the whole colony. And so it's just shocking that no one on the Enterprise picked up on this, even though there's this whole other clone thing going on. They should have noticed who's making the decisions, who's actually like running this colony. Shouldn't she have a say at the end of the episode? And yeah, it's just shocking because of all the evidence presented that she's actually useful <laughs> i just want to say this real quick quote that um she says she says always falls to the women to make their grand dreams come true and isn't that the truth 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to know the most shocking thing to me? Is that this was written by Melinda and Snodgrass, who also wrote Measure of a Man, which is probably one of the finest episodes of Star Trek. Mm. You can't win them all. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I, this is on, on my skip list. <laughs> I yeah. think most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I should apologize to everybody who's on this panel today for having to sit through this. I mean, we all suffered together on this one. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a great reminder of what a good episode really is like versus what a really awful episode is like. Mm-hmm. There's a, a fun a little side note. There's a, a little quote from, from Riker in this that, that's quite interesting where he, talking about the clones, he talks about how a second William Riker would diminish him in ways he can barely imagine. Yes. But at this exact yes. point in time, there is a second William Riker. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked up on that too. I was a little annoyed yeah. by that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was hilarious. You, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, nothing to do with Picard, Thomas but it's yet. Cool. Yeah, it's not yep. He's still stuck there, waiting for somebody to come <laughs> yeah. pick him up. <laughs> yeah. You're just pining oh, over Troy. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Well, and I just want to make a point um, that is is sadly very common, and this is this is not just Star Trek. This is just like society, and like there are so many instances and i'm thinking about like abortion rights and i'm thinking about like women's rights in general there are so many points where there is this room full of men making decisions for women's bodies and this is really where like the crux of this the story comes from is the fact that like it's literally all men in that room except pulaski and it's this like supposed leader guy making the decision for all these women and it was just like wow, like it was kind of like they were trying to make a statement, but then just like completely went in the opposite direction. Like, I think if they could have done something like, oh yeah, let's get all the women in here. Let's discuss it, you know, actually have some kind of dialogue instead of, hey, you're going to be a breeding now. Like you are all poly. You're all going to just have a bunch of babies. Like there's probably a lot of women in that society who don't want to ever have children or who maybe have like issues having children. There's so many other circumstances that like, frankly, a lot of men don't even think about because they're not the ones having the kids and they're not the ones carrying them for nine months and they're not the ones doing the like literal difficult labor. And so it's just such an important thing to remember about like society as a whole. And what Star Trek is reflecting here is just so like sickening, essentially, because it's playing into that exactly playing into the hands of the people making decisions for women's bodies while the women aren't even there. And to spice up this conversation even more, we should remind everybody who hasn't seen this episode, whether by choice or by happenstance, uh, that we, we should keep in mind that Pulaski earlier in this episode was also essentially violated uh, because her, yeah. I, I don't know what the term is, we're just going to say her DNA was stolen by these clones that so they can make clones of her. So uh, her autonomy was taken away from her, and yet she still decides to agree to take away the autonomy of an entire group of people. But, you know, Riker killed the clones, so she doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Mm, like, of out of sight, out of mind. So why mm. would she think any further? Mm. But all, the, all the choices available to clone on the Enterprise, why Pulaski? <laughs> she was there, I don't know. <laughs> Let's clone the space racist. Let's do <laughs> I also want to say... Sorry, like, too real. No, but Riker also gets it on with um with Brina during this episode. Mm. So did he inadvertently like pass on his DNA anyway? Like, do Ooh. we know if there's an like did Riker help <laughs> to contribute to the babies? I don't know. 
I feel that question's been asked a lot. And <laughs> I, I, I imagine there's tons of little Rikers in that photo. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just like all Kirk. Over. Yeah. 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 Can't say they're all transporter accidents, can you, Will? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also want to make a quick point, too, that the clones are so against this at first when they meet the, like, leader, supposed male leader of the, uh, like, Irish folk, because... The, the Breen Lodi. Yeah, the Breen Lodi, like, they literally says like he doesn't want to breed with them and picard is just like you're a bigot do it anyway i'm just like this is all a mess like they're all gonna hate each other they're like i know that this is advancing a civilization for the long run like it's helping them but anything that you say it will help in the long run is not a good solution because clearly the short term needs to be addressed and it wasn't here well, that's a great point. Uh, and I, I think I actually now bring this back to a bigger picture question, because, you know, let's take a trip backwards again to Pen Pals, where Picard said he didn't want to play God. And he said that also in Who Watches the Watchers. And uh, I think an exact quote I wrote down or, or something close to an exact quote, because I scribbled a lot of random notes here. But uh, I think he said it, it's the height of hubris to take the lives of people into their hands, especially if there is some cosmic God who has a plan for everything. So here we are up the long ladder. And I mean... Picard did just play God here. So uh, now we come back to that wonderful question that you all hate me asking throughout this entire hour we've done so far. Uh, did Picard make the most ethical decision here? I'm just laughing when you said hubris. I saw Rihanna laugh, and I think she's laughing at the same thing I am. But anyway. <laughs> the sheer fucking hubris of that question. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just all ethically bad. No, like just no, <laughs> no, yeah. no Starfleet regulations were involved here. Like, I think again, these admirals at Starfleet are probably having an aneurysm reading this. <laughs> like, what are you doing, John Luke? Literally, yeah. This was such a tough one. Like, yeah, you know, it it was ba- it's just bad all around, and it's it's hard to you know kind of weigh in and like say you know, if he did the right thing or it's just he did a thing. That's about it. You know, he made a choice, and it's like okay, see ya. It happened, uh, yeah. It, it, the whole episode was so ridiculous. Even he started, you know, I remember Picard at one point, and he's like, you just have to laugh at the absurd and that. And I think, like, for the most part in that, like, he he, he decided to follow in that advice and that, and he made an absurd decision with the cards he was dealt in that. I mean, he did present the choices to them in that. You know, they were confiscating the cloning equipment and that. I don't know if that was a good choice or not, you know. They were obviously going to continue with cloning and that. And as he said, you've got maybe 50 years left in that before your copies of copies of copies degenerate into just like, you know, unusable goo. Uh, and as Pelasi says, it's like, let them, you know, if, you know, if 50 years, we'll have an M class planet of complete with cities and everything ready for us to, to colonize in. And it's either that or the Bryn Lloydie. Yeah, I have nothing to add. I'm just, like, in (laughs) shock. Yeah. I felt like that Picard, like, laughing. Like, sometimes you just have to laugh. That was just Patrick Stewart, like, breaking the fourth wall. He's like, what's going on right now? That was such a cop-out response, too. Like, that was so out of character. Yeah. Yeah. So throughout all of this, we have seen Picard run the gamut of letting emotions cloud his judgment versus being very cold to the situation. And uh, really, you know, as we reflect on all the episodes we talked about, it's not even just season one of Picard being more hard edged, really, uh, in my opinion, because, you know, you look at Homeward, that was season seven, and he was totally cool with letting that planet implode. So yep. a lot of these cases, you know, they do need a, a softer, more nuanced touch, as we discussed. So my question is now, is the prime directive itself unethical? 
And uh, my, my thoughts here on this one, I'm going to go ahead and give these first because I wrote a whole little spiel here, but I'll try and uh, concise, make it concise here. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the Prime Directive is relatively ethical, but that relativity is relative to the core belief of its originators. And uh, they may not have always had the best interest of others in mind. And having a fourth set of ethics contradicts logic itself. What you're doing in that case is you're basically implying that one person or one group's of, uh, person, of people's logic is not based on an emotional reaction to something, which is never really the case. Uh, really, all decisions and beliefs we have are based on some emotion tied to a belief, and therefore, objectivity is out of the airlock immediately. So I'm going to be devil's advocate here and say that, no, the Prime Directive is, in fact, very unethical because it takes choice away from those directly involved or or affected by something, uh, and that not taking an action is still taking an action and maybe interference actually is the right thing to do to achieve intergalactic harmony, which means non-interference, all that stuff out the window. So I'm going to go ahead and open the floor up to anybody who has any thoughts about this real big one here. Oh, it's it's problematic <laughs> with mm-hmm. a capital problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Can't spell problematic without problematic. <laughs> exactly. Well. You know, you, you can you can certainly go a couple of different ways on this. I think you can see the Prime Directive. It's a very human rule and maybe a, a human attempt to sort of break some of the mistakes of the past when you look at sort of some of the colonial era mistakes with, you know, uh, Indigenous peoples, Aboriginal peoples. You know, I, I look at my own country and how... We thought, you know, when European settlers came here, they thought that they were doing the right thing by, you know, stealing children away from the, from their Aboriginal parents and trying to bring them into the, the modern world, as they called it, because they thought that they were more civilised. And here we are, centuries later, still trying to repair the damage that that caused to these people. Like, they, a whole generation stolen as a result, you know, it, there's there's an element there where I think they're trying to sort of you know just re- prevent those kind of things from happening again. And you know I, I, the Australian example is is just one, uh, which is replicated many many times all over this planet. I think that that the, what the Prime Directive does clash with is human morals and human ideals and human standards of behaviour and. <laughs> forgive me for for being the uh only non-north american i think in the room but also very american ideals and standards as well for you know for what what democracy and all that kind of stuff should look like um and and yeah it's a i i don't think i've necessarily answered the question there but i think you can certainly go one of one of two ways on how ethical it is it certainly has ethics at its core but it it its implementation and its interpretation is 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 a source of many ethical issues and morality issues yeah davy that's such a good point and i think that i've heard quite a lot of complaints about picard being sort of the white savior and falling into that complex and i think that that is an issue that has to be addressed in all Starfleet captains, you know, regardless of where in the quadrant you're exploring, even like Janeway's definitely broke the pride directive so many times and like giving technology to the Herogen turned out to be a horrible decision, you know, and we see Archer making these bad decisions, all of these captains uh, struggling with these ethical 
decisions and trying to sort of war with does the prime directive actually help or hinder and i think that really what it comes down to again is just the liability clause you know i think that this is starfleet's way of saving their ass and covering themselves and saying okay we can't interfere therefore like we won't be uh sort of cited as the reason for this civil war or this famine or whatever it is that may be happening but i think that it's so like it's just so effed because there's so many people who could like benefit from that like kind of interference that but then is that me just being white savior as well you know so i think that there are a lot of instances and in when star trek in which star trek takes uh sort of what they would call like not warp capable cultures and it kind of turns into a question of like is this just how colonists viewed like native americans you know and like we should have never come to america and stolen all that land like we are literally on stolen land currently and uh it's always going to be an issue and so it's so so tricky because if you don't interfere then people are going to die and cultures are going to be completely wiped out but if you do interfere like the scope of it you have no idea you know it 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 kind of reminds me i'm so talking a lot about Voyager, so I apologize, but um, kind of reminds me of In Year of Hell where Chakotay didn't consider the entire life of the comet, you know, that he's like, let's just erase this comet from history, then we're good to go. Voyager would have never met you guys. But then he's like, yeah, you just killed like 60 million species, you know, by erasing the entire history of the comet. And so by not interfering, you know, then that creates, yes, some planets had to die because of that, but also this, some planets would have never lived because of that. And so there really is no good answer, which is why I love philosophy so much and why I was a minor of philosophy in college, because like you can debate until you're blue in the face and there's never going to be a perfect solution. And so I think that this is Starfleet trying to find that perfect solution or at least find that middle ground say like, if they're not warp capable, then like we just cannot associate but if they are warp capable then we can do more action to help them and have more interference so i think that no the prime directive is not ethical but also it's as ethical as they can be for this extremely difficult situation where yeah, like we have a lot of people at enterprise a lot of vulcans in enterprise arguing that like they shouldn't even be out here you know like that humans are one, not ready, and two, way too into interfering with everyone else because they want to put their beliefs and values onto that. And that can be very, very tricky because, yeah, not everyone wants to be saved in that way or not everyone needs the help of these random captains. So, yeah, that's my non-answer answer. <laughs> so, in regards to the Prime Directive as being ethical, it has ethics at its core, as Dave said. Um, but any sort of the you have to remember the prime directive is not really there to protect other races and that it's to protect starfleet you know from itself and from its own people and that and like you know their own motivations and wanting to you know interfere or help or you know even like in some cases attack you know uh, you know in any given situation that they encounter and that um just to you know as a reminder and that you know canada you know obviously is no stranger in that to its atrocities and that to the aboriginal people and that here we're only recently just trying to like you know tackle like you know the the situation with our residential schools and what they did over the years so you know north america australia and that we're not alone uh it reminds me of q saying that the trial never ends and that you 
no matter how many times they go out there and apply a certain ethic or a prime directive and that it, it there it's there's always going to be like not I'm not saying this very well but it all depends on the situation i think we're doomed to repeat history um and we're but we also are still trying willing to try and learn from it even when we fail yeah and i agree with pretty much everything everyone has said i will say that i think that the prime directive should be renamed so it's not the prime directive it should still be a directive of non-interference but i don't think it should be the hill that starfleet should die on i think like hawk said it should be a case case by case basis because there are some situations like um especially who watches the watchers i think Picard did the right thing by letting them know like centuries early that, Hey, we're uh, like hanging out in the stars. Just come join us when you're ready. Um, That is the right call in that situation. So I, I think personally it should be taken with a grain of salt rather than it's the, the law and we will take away your titles if you disobey us. Exactly. The law should be firm, but it should never be unmoving. Yes, exactly. Now, we should add in this very big, broad, topical conversation about ethics, there's a lot of episodes we didn't cover today from TNG. Uh, you know, there's, of course, we, we mentioned a few of them, but didn't actually go into too many details about them. There's also a whole bunch of courtroom dramas that we can go into, but I think that's going to be best saved for another episode. But I will mention anyone out there who's watching this and wants to comment on social media or on the YouTube video about any episodes that they think uh, were worth talking about or that they really feel like exemplify the best or the worst of Picard's ethical decisions, go ahead and leave them. And I'm sure all of us will eventually take a look at them and, and respond to them because, yeah, there's so many big, big things here on this conversation. And I think now it's time, though, for this trial to maybe come to an end. So <laughs> the question here now, Mon Capitans, and this is another big, broad one here, but can we look objectively at our protagonist here? Can we say that Picard truly was an ethical person? Was he truly flawlessly ethical or was he maybe not quite all the way there? Did he let his morals get in the way? How would you define the ethics of what Captain McCard has achieved throughout his career in Starfleet? Really easy question. Uh, very light, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not complicated. Um, I'm going to say we talked about some episodes that really featured the negative of him and his ethic choices, but Viewing him as a whole and seven years watching him as a captain, I have to say that generally he makes the a great decision about maybe like 80% of the time. So um, I think when it comes down to it, Picard is someone who he, like he should trust his instincts and he will probably come to a situation that is a compromise for everyone involved or maybe just for him. <laughs> but um, I, I think overall Picard um has his ethics in the right place <laughs> yeah and and i think that that's really it ashland like he's he's never trying not to be ethical he's always trying to err on the what is right and and what is what is just but he's human and he makes mistakes and he doesn't always get it right because I think anyone listening to this podcast or anyone on this podcast, can we all say that we've, <laughs> that we've never done something maybe thinking that we were right in a, a little self-righteously, perhaps caused harm without meaning to do so, uh, or made a, made a decision that wasn't the right, it was maybe only in our own best interest and, you know, it struggled to be able to accept that later on. Like it's, um, 
I think, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's one of the th- reasons why we gravitate so much towards Picard is because whilst he's faced with these humongous dilemmas, he does, he, he faces into them and leans into them in a very, very relatable and human way. Um, yeah, he, like, honestly, he's still my captain. Uh, ethically, <laughs> no. yeah, I think he'll always try. <laughs> he's always going to try and do the right thing. Um, uh, but when he fails, I think he is someone who will, it's about how you carry the failure, right? Going forward. He's a student of history in that, but he's also somebody who looks beyond, you know, into the future in that. And in the present, he has people and other considerations to look after. He has a crew. He has a, a duty to Starfleet, you know, and he tries to, he tries to bring all those factors to the table in any decision that he makes, you know? Um, and I'd like to, like to say in that, I mean, like, we talk about like how his decisions impact, you know, go, you know, others going forward in that. But then again, if you don't want the responsibility of the way, what your decisions and how they impact others going forward, then as Q said, go home and hide under your bed. It's dangerous out here. You know, it's a situation where sometimes you're damned if you do it and you're damned if you don't. Um, but at the end, it's about, you know, if, if you can carry those going forward and try and do better the next time good on you. I I totally agree with all of you. I think that, yeah, he's absolutely human. And we've seen other captains be less stringent about it. And we see how that affects their command decisions and how that affects their relationship with Starfleet. And I just, I do want to applaud Picard because I think he is always trying so, so hard to adhere to the rules of Starfleet. And there are just a lot of other captains in the fleet who would not be trying that hard and who would not be considering things from every angle. And I'm not saying that these captains are worse or better. I'm saying that this is Picard's sort of desire is to be fully like upholding to Starfleet's values and rules. And this is the prime directive, even like Ashlyn said, if it shouldn't be (laughs) the prime one, it still is. And it's still what Starfleet uh, like hinges most of their ethics on. And so I think it really makes sense that He's just trying his best, you know, and absolutely we are looking at episodes where his best was just not enough or his best was just like dicey, you know, but also like we, there are so many episodes where he does indeed make really great decisions and is able to walk that really, really fine line um, in within these ethical like just crazy decisions. So yeah, I think that I am really as a whole, like such a big Picard fan because he is very much a rules person. And I, I also am a rules girl to the most part, but I also like really respect the fact that it can be really hard. And it's just, it's, it's a, there's no way any of these situations are black and white. And this is what Picard is realizing over and over again and having to make those really difficult decisions. So Honestly, overall, he's pretty pretty damn ethical. <laughs> so while it has been amusing to hear you linear beings discuss the ethics of Picard, uh, it doesn't take a member of the Q Collective to see. I think really this is the lesson we can all learn here in that the system of what ethics is is broken, and the system of what Starfleet and the Prime Directive is is also fairly broken, and that it doesn't really allow for room for morality to be considered into these things. So Picard has had quite a tough uh, challenge ahead of him throughout many of his different things that he's been trialed with. Uh, but really, ethics is never wholly ethical in a broken system. Truth. Fair. Damn straight. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
So I think with that, I will uh, strip myself of my powers and resume being flesh and blood once more. Uh, so I'd like to thank all of the different members who are with me today from the various podcasts. We have joining us for Captain McCard Week 2. And uh, yeah, let's just have one more time. Let's have everybody here sound off. Uh, let us know who you are, what you do, where to find you. And also, you guys all have your own Captain McCard Week shows that may have already aired or are about to air. So let us know also right now uh, what you guys have got going. And uh, let's let's start in uh, reverse order of how we did it last time. So I think uh, Dura Sisters, I'll be uh, you ladies starting us up. Yeah, we are the Dura Sisters podcast. We are a philosophy-based podcast. So this has been really fun getting to talk all of these philosophical debates here. And uh, like Ashlyn said, we are currently on our holodeck series, covering all of the crazy shenanigans that go on in the holodeck. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Tumblr, uh, we are on Patreon. We are on YouTube. Uh, we just d- developed some really cool new Patreon tiers with a lot more merch and goodies for you all. So please go check that out and donate if you can. And I also just want to thank you, Matthew, for creating such a wonderful list for us today. Ashlyn and I are huge odd watch lists. We, that's like literally all we do. And so it was really fun to get this, uh, watch list and to get to look at all of this. So I just want to thank you for having us. Yeah, and coming up for the rest of the Picard week, I hope you caught us earlier in the day where we were on the Promenade Merchants podcast talking about uh, Picard and his relationship with women on his crew. And then later on the week on Saturday evening on, I think, February 11th at 930, we will be talking about Picard or Stranded Picard is our topic. We didn't come up with a better name than that, but you know what (laughs) we're talking about. It's Picard every time he's kind of just stuck somewhere. So that'll be a really fun discussion. I will be there for that one as well. So I cannot wait to have that discussion because yes. as far as this timeline it hasn't happened yet in, in my Q timeline, I've been there, done that, but uh, and it's, yes. it was wonderful. By the way, too. But yes. yeah, I'll, I'll be part of that conversation as well. You can catch me and uh, the rest of my crewmates at strange new pod um, every Thursday. Um, like I said, we're on the socials, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I think we have a TikTok. I think Giraffe runs that. I I, I don't know much about TikTok. So um, it's really good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this was a this was actually a lot of fun, uh, Matt. I know, yeah, we say, oh, it's so heavy and depressing, but you know, you actually get on and start talking about this, you're actually going to have a lot of fun doing so. So thank you once again for setting this up. And I to finish it off, so you can find my show, The Tricksperts Quiz, uh, wherever you get pods podcasts from. Uh, we've also just launched a YouTube channel, uh, which is Trexperts Quiz as well, where we are starting to do our first video episodes. Uh, the first one features Rihanna and Hawk, the first video episode. And look, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, I, I can't believe that there aren't other Star Trek game shows out there in the podcast verse. Uh, but I think everyone here by you, Matthew, has been a contestant so far. So we may have to change that in the very near future, I think. Uh, but we're having so much fun doing the show and it's been an amazing way to get out and meet uh, more Trek family across the globe. Uh, and also I am so excited because as part of Captain Picard week, uh, the Trek Sports quiz will be rounding the week off on the 14th. At 12.30 Eastern, I always have to quote things in American time zones now because that's most of my audience. (laughs) But we will be going live on the Strange New Pod YouTube. I have never gone live before, God help us all, uh, where we're going to be taking four contestants from across the week. uh, And one of those people 
may be on the call right now. And each contestant will be actually going up for a real prize to give away to a patron of their network. So uh, keep tuned for that. I am equal parts excited and terrified about doing that, but can't wait. <laughs> and also shout out one more time to Strange New Pod for organizing this entire event. Shout out to all of them, Hawk included. Uh, and yeah, it's been wonderful being part of this event again. It's been really great also being able to connect with all these other folks here. Because, you know, my show typically, and I should probably plug myself too, shouldn't I? Uh, for folks yeah. who aren't normally a listener of, of Trek Untold, uh, yeah, again, we are on at Trek Untold and all the social medias. Definitely check us out on YouTube as well. Hopefully you're doing that right now because uh, we just relaunched the YouTube channel and it's pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, again, just shout out to everybody who's here. Uh, you know, on my show, typically the folks we get to talk to are more like behind the scenes folks on the Trek shows, the films or whatever. So I don't really get to connect with podcasters as much and really just, you know, fellow fans. So I don't get to do that. And it's real great that you guys are all willing to do this and jump in. You know, like Ashley and Rihanna, I met you guys last year. Uh, well, I think we met actually on a different podcast first time ever, but uh, I've yeah. always enjoyed talking to both of you. And likewise with Hawk, you know, we, we had another weighty topic, Hawk, maybe next year we'll get something lighter. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. And, I'm cool. Uh, I'm cool if it's not. <laughs> and Davey, yeah, this is our first time meeting. So, uh, you know, again, I, I really enjoy meeting you I, and I think uh, I'm going to have to take up that offer aren't i'm gonna have to go on that quiz and win it so uh oh yeah 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 Yeah. once i've got my eyes set on you you don't get away like (laughs) (laughs) i do have to ask one major major question though here not an ethical question davy just uh what is bluey like in real life how is she (laughs) you're talking about the cartoon dog right of course i'm talking about the cartoon dog. (laughs) okay good (laughs) who else do you know it's named bluey in your life i need to hear this It amazes me how much, how popular Bluey is, to be honest. I don't have children or anything like that, so I've literally never watched an episode of it. But I know it's it's huge. Oh, really? I was unaware of that. There is, and we're going to have to save that for another episode, because that's my end of the show tease to make people come back for more in the future. So, uh, again, thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you to everybody who participated today. And I hope you're all enjoying Picard Week, uh, or Picard Week 2, I guess we'll call it the sequel, Wrath of Picard, maybe. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> keep listening. Stay tuned to more stuff from Strange New Pod, from the Dura Sisters, from the Trexperts Quiz, uh, and from me too, Trek Untold. So uh, until next time, as I always say at the end of my show, fortune favors the bold. And also, since we're here with all these other folks here, uh, hey, live long and prosper, everybody. Ooh, live long and prosper. So <laughs> Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.